Hey, everybody. You know, Steve and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and a whole lot longer than that as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, to heal betrayal trauma, and to reclaim your relationship. And we've gone ahead and poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you guys have done on your journey for healing and recovery, we guarantee you have never done anything like this. You know, we've made all the mistakes so you don't have to. Please don't reinvent the wheel. Guys, come on, let's get real. Tomorrow never really comes. Don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve on the PBSC podcast. Our episode today, this is episode 149, and we're addressing a question that came in to us from an addict in recovery. And we don't get a lot of those. It's mostly no, we don't. spouses and partners. So it is. we wanted to jump on this one. Really refreshing. So let me, uh, let me read what he wrote in. He says, hi, Mark and Steve. I love your podcast, and I've learned a ton from your experiences. Thank you for all that you do for the SA recovery community. I'm a betraying partner in recovery from porn and sex addiction. I've been working with a CSAT for 10 months and engage in separate therapy and accountability groups each week. My wife and I completed a therapeutic disclosure four months ago and started couples counseling this week. I struggle with a deep feeling of worthlessness that manifests in many areas of my life being afraid of failure, perfectionism, and having trouble accepting affirmation, even from fellow people in recovery. Here's my question. What steps can I take to overcome that feeling of worthlessness? My partner and I explored uh, EFT hold me tight months ago and agreed that it was not the time to discuss forgiveness. Even if she forgives me, I'm not sure my self-worth would allow me to accept it. Hmm. Yeah. I really like the insight in the last line there because I would agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. Even if she forgave me, I'm not sure my self worth would allow me to accept it. Uh, it's a very true, and I think it's an honest response. Um, you know, so much of these feelings are they are internally generated, and you know, as two addicts in recovery, Mark and I can definitely resonate with this uh, with this uh, uh, subscriber to the podcast. Um, there are a bunch of areas uh, that we wanted to talk about, as you guys know these. Uh, podcasts are on the shorter end, but we definitely wanted to tackle a couple of ways to begin to go about addressing this issue of worthlessness because it 
this is pretty much endemic. Would you agree, Mark, with every oh, guy we work with? Every single one. Yeah. Every single one struggles with this sense of worthlessness. I'm a loser. I'm a pervert. I'm, you know, I'm never going to amount to anything. Nobody like me has a happy life, right? Yeah. I'll never overcome this addiction. It'll be with me to the grave. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's a regular thing. Well, and this is even, we didn't even cover this in our notes this morning, but it's just coming to mind. So I'm going to throw it out there really quick at the beginning. It doesn't apply so much to who wrote in, but it does apply to anyone else who might be listening. Um, many of you may have heard the term cognitive dissonance, right? Which is the, is, is this feeling of distress that we feel on an emotional level and on a confidence level as well. When we are living, uh, in conflict with what we value. Mm -hmm. So the degree to which we experience this term cognitive dissonance is basically the degree to which, you know, what I stand for, my ideals, my hopes, my dreams, right? It's the difference between that versus what I, how I'm actually living. You yep. know, what, what is going on in my life? And again, it doesn't really apply so much to this guy, uh, to this, this, this uh, person who wrote in because he is clearly doing quite a bit in his recovery. But if any of you are listening to this and you are struggling, the first place to begin is going to be looking at focusing on the things and elements within recovery that you can control. Um, so much of this negativity that we generate internally as addicts comes from this idea of, I want to be sober, I want to be different, but I'm not. Right. And there is obviously a journey in recovery and that's huge and complex and what we talk about on here every day, but where you can start to reclaim at least some of this is focusing on those things that you can control. And even though sobriety may be out of control at the beginning, finding the proper help, getting involved with the proper resources um, is a great way to take back some of that. Um, you know, and we, and we talk about that quite a bit and in, in obviously on here on the podcast, but we would definitely invite you, if you have not checked it out yet, our Dare to Connect program for addicts, spouses, and couples uh, is a great way to begin your recovery or to continue re your recovery journey wherever you're at. We build Dare to Connect as, a, as an opportunity four times a week now, uh, three during the weekdays, and then with support sessions on the weekends for addicts and spouses to be able to uh, you know, connect with recovery and find ways to control and to regulate the areas of recovery in which they can and to take their lives back on, you know, on a consistent basis, you know, four times a week. And we would love to have you guys come take a look at that. You can find a free trial for that over at daretoconnectnow.com. We do have a, that two week trial ongoing, at least for the time being, would love to have you join us over there so we can be involved more in the trenches with you and your day-to-day -day recovery efforts. Um, but definitely that would be a first start is, is finding those areas in which you can manifest some things to change uh, in terms of taking that back and exerting willpower where you can is a good way to begin. So that's kind of the disclaimer to the other stuff we'll talk about. Yeah. And you know, one of the first questions that came to me is, well, where does this feeling of worthlessness come from? Mm, yeah. And we, we, we cannot go into a big, big area of that today in this podcast, but obviously from childhood. Lots of childhood traumas, lots of, you know, our families of origin, <clears throat> many, you know, different things that happen with peers and relationships. There's an awful lot of this that goes back to childhood. And, you know, so just keep that in mind. Worthlessness isn't an automatic. It basically is thrust upon us and happens throughout our, our childhoods and teen years and even into our young adult years. But one of the, you know, one of the areas that was the beyond that, uh, which I had a lot of childhood work to do was just the fact that I was an addict, right? That fact had a huge impact on my sense of worth. Absolutely. 
right? I, I saw my state as an addict, as an absolute identity. Mm-hmm. This is who I am, right? It, it wasn't something I did. It wasn't some attribute among many in my life. It was my, pretty much my soul identity. It was at the bullseye center. So every time some opportunity came as to how I felt about myself and whether I had worth and value and could be desired and could be successful and all of those things, immediately, what was the measuring stick above, uh, uh, against which I put myself? You're an addict, right? Yeah. What you've been involved with, what you've looked at, what you've done, right? You're, you're, you're worthless. You're useless. You're never going to amount to anything, you addict. Yeah. Yeah, it's so significant, right? And 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 we carry so much shame around it that it overrides anything else that we do. Yep. Right. I remember thinking more, oftentimes to myself, as and I'm sure Mark can recall, you know, when and this is this is it's good to talk about this because this is the mechanism that I'm I'm pretty confident this uh listener who wrote in is referring to. Whenever I would receive compliments from people, right? Whether it was my wife or or whoever it was. That that shame wall that I carried is what we call it, right? Would really make it difficult, if not impossible, to internalize almost anything positive that people would send my way. Because shame was creating that rock solid paradigm that I operated from that Mark's describing. Right. This is I'm an addict and all it's all I'll ever be. And it doesn't matter what other good stuff I do. You know, this is this is this is the pain that I caused, the damage that I caused, the harm that I've brought to people, the hurt to myself and to other people and how I continue to do that, right? That that was that constant overriding factor. And so many of the guys that we work with struggle in one form or fashion to internalize that positive input from other sources because we have, you know, our shame has made us really invulnerable to allowing that insight in in a vulnerable way from other people. You know, we we look at ourselves through this lens of that person doesn't really know me because they don't know who I really am. Right. And that was the first thing. Whenever someone would give me a compliment, including my wife, mm-hmm. the first thing with the little voice inside my head would go, would immediately discount it straight yep. out of the gate. Oh, but she, he or she doesn't know me. If they, they don't know what me, I really do, they would never say that. No. They knew what I did 10 minutes ago, an hour ago. If they knew the full me, right, who I was really about, these people wouldn't offer me those accolades or that praise or whatever that case is. Remember, shame is debilitating for many reasons, but one of the primary is is because it is ironclad in its thinking. When we are caught in shame, it doesn't allow for other perceptions in. It it decides that it's the expert in the room, and, and it does are. and it doesn't allow for any expansion of identity. No, right? Okay, addiction was one of the things that I engaged in as a behavior, but what about all the other parts of me? Yes. Nope. Nope. Not in those moments. Those did not exist. Yeah. Which kind of takes us into asking and really looking at it, taking a refocus, if we're going to break free of this, on on a couple of key que- vulnerable questions that we all need to be constantly revisiting uh, ourselves as addicts. Uh, do I believe I can change? But also, uh, you know, Mark brought up an important point before we started here. You know, do I even do I even deserve to change? Mm. Do I deserve something better? Which takes <clears throat> us into kind of the spiritual realm, right? When we get into this idea of what do we deserve? Who can we become? What are we growing into? Mm-hmm. Are we stuck versus are we malleable? Are we I are we are we ironclad in who we are versus can we evolve? 
right? All those questions have to do with one's own spiritual identity. And that's kind of a good segue into the next piece of this. Yeah. And, be, and as we go into this spiritual part, please, please, please don't hear religious or religion as we no, go that's not what we're part of it. We're not talking about religiosity. We're talking about spirituality and they're, and they can be very often can be very, very different. Sure. Right. So this, this whole concept of who am I in this universe? What is my place? Right. Am I, am I loved? Am I, am I unconditionally accepted, right, by, by a universal love that's out there? Call that what you will. That might be God for you or Jesus Christ or, as, as I said, universal love or nature or whatever it is. is. Is there this thing that's outside of me that does see me and know me and accept me no matter what? And am I willing to get in touch with that? Yeah. You know, that spiritual framework, whatever that looks like for you, and, and religion does intersect with that for some to a degree, but at the end of the day, that spiritual framework is so critical because here we have shame, right, that is constantly telling us what, who we are and how crappy we are, <laughs> right? Your and shame how, is how, an iso- how isolated we are. I'm yeah, absolutely. All alone. For sure. Yeah. Yep, nobody's ever going to get us. No one will ever understand us. We don't deserve any help from anyone. But being able to connect with one's own spiritual framework and to be developing that out as appropriate is is critical um, for a couple of reasons. The, the first is is that one's own spiritual identity does help kind of what Mark was saying to under begin to understand, you know, we start to address questions like, you know, where what is my place in in this realm of reality, right? What is my identity? Where does that come from? You know, what 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 value does that carry intrinsically to? my fellow man to the people around me to the, to the whatever right what is my what is my inner capacity when i collaborate with both myself and my higher power to be able to change or to be different or to evolve that i don't have you know there are many religious religious uh uh themes or religious frameworks out there for example that ascribe to an idea of evolution and growth Right, whether you're talking about Christianity, Judaism, uh, uh, yep. Islamic traditions—I yeah, mean, Buddhism, all of them, Hinduism, all of them—all of them ascribe to this idea that I can be something and someone different tomorrow than the person that I am today, mm-hmm. and that I don't have to be today who I was yesterday. Right? They all hold that in common, even though they come from very different places. So, what does that look like for you? Being able to examine with the lens of vulnerability. You know, do I believe in a capacity to change? Is my shame telling me that I'm stuck here forever and I'm screwed? Or or rather, is is it my actual belief system or is it my shame that's telling me that? Yeah, right? and part of that is, <clears throat> or is it just tradition telling me that? Have I been told be so too. many times over my childhood or by peers or by the culture that I've, I've just internalized it and believed yeah. it? You know, one of the things you and I, Steve, have, have used over many years with clients, regardless of their of their religious or spiritual background, is kind of what we call, you know, fire fire your false god and hire the true one. Mm-hmm. And all that means is, do you have a religious or spiritual tradition that is not serving you, that is actually setting you up in some ways for this shame and this unworthiness? And if you do, is it time to really take a close look at that and ask, Maybe maybe I need to question this and and search for something that is that is actually true and healthy 
and you know is 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 going to is going to help me evolve and expand yeah yeah and, th- and then that's so true i mean we we talk about this on the program oftentimes how you know the re- the research about this is clear we find we form primary emotional identities around one's our own higher power whatever that is for us primarily through the lens of how we are treated acknowledged loved or not by caregivers yes and and that's where we primarily learn and, and imprint that and if for those who have grown up in traumatic backgrounds, be they proactively uh, uh, abusive or passively, like neglectfully abusive, um, those who have experienced that and been through that, Mark has a lot of experience with that, are are going to have a very difficult time believing in something different that way. And lots of other traumatic experiences can create those things as well. And so this higher fire concept is so important because it's, it's not as though we're truly going out and recreating God or our higher power through the lens of like we're changing the universe. It's <laughs> it's through the lens of basically going through and taking a lens, a, a closer look, maybe in a deeper way than we ever have before and saying, which of these things were I just taught versus which of these things truly resonate and do I actually believe? Yes. And what would I like to believe versus maybe what I've been taught? Am I... Am I living a spiritual reality here or are there areas in which I'm living kind of the spiritual version of the Truman show where everything I've always been taught maybe isn't as accurate as it seems. Yeah. This is where we start to get into the, in the realm of what does my heart tell me? Yes, exactly. Right. Cause your brain tells you all kinds of things about this, this, you know, spiritual side, but what does, what really resonates with your being? And is it time to start looking at that and questioning these things? Yeah. You know, another part of uh, what Steve, that you and I do a lot is what we call self parenting, Mm, right? We, and this is, this is part of spirituality. This is actually connecting to self, but we do have the ability to go back to that little traumatized child that's inside of us and actually nurture and embrace and understand and soothe and help, Mm. right? That little guy in there who understands him better than you. Who who could be a better parent to that 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 little you know broken that little boy with brokenness in you than you? And I've actually done extensive personal work with regard to that. You know, I have I have big blown up blown up photos here on my wall outside my office of me as a little tiny kid. And every time I pass it, I put my hand up on his face and just say, "Hey, little man, you're so good. I love you. Right? I've got you. I've got you." I do that. I do that multiple times every day. And I can't tell you what that's done for my sense of worth. You're going back and healing brokenness. Oh, that's so cool. I actually didn't know you did that. (laughs) I'm learning something new every day. I've known this guy for seven years and I haven't, didn't even know that. It's something new. That's really cool. Um, So yeah, there's lots of, there, there are lots of uh, questions, right? Centered on this idea, but the the whole premise between with this, whether it's with in that spiritual framework and the same thing holds true by getting input from people that are close to us that really know us, right? Mm. Whether it's our partners, whether it's close family members that can see us as we are, et cetera, et cetera, what it boils back, back to. And this is kind of an approach that I had to take at one point in time is asking myself this iron clad belief system that I've been ascribing to for years, right? This shame-based thinking that I am no good, that I'm useless, that I'm worthless. Asking myself the question, how has that served me during the time I've ascribed to it? Mm. What has that resulted in? Because up until that point, when I started to seriously question that, what it resulted in is more of a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
And so I started to have to ask myself hard questions, right? Like, is this serving me? And what if I tried something better? I tend to be more of a cynic in my in my view of the world. I'm a glass half empty by nature rather than half full. Brittany, my wife, oftentimes she is Miss Glass Half Full, and so, uh, <laughs> so she's so, she's so she's helped me in a, yeah she's helped me a lot <laughs> in this area because I'm always like the guy that you know is saying the sky is falling. But asking myself through that lens, I got to, I got to the point where just from a logical point of view, I said, okay, I've looked at, I've been looking at when some when a therapist started to challenge me on this kind of thinking, and I was doing my own work. It was like, okay, I I'll be honest with myself, I don't believe this stuff that my my therapist is teaching me about how I could be better and change or whatever. But if I'm logical, what what is what is hold, what has holding on to this whole belief system done for me? Has that really served me? And I got to a point where I kind of had to make the conclusion of just like, screw it. I may as well give this a try. It's not like it's going to be any worse, right? Worst, you know, worst, worst case as a, as a sponsor once told me, Steve, you can try this and look at this through a different paradigm or you cannot, but why not give it a try? Because even if you try it out and it doesn't work, you can always have your misery back. That's what he told me. <laughs> yeah, you can, you always, can always have your shame and misery. It's not going anywhere. Like you can pick that up anytime you want, but why not try looking at it through this lens of maybe what I believe about myself for all these years is wrong. Well, and and the reason that's so valuable is we start, you know, as we finish up today and talk about, you know, he with his partner, you know, is he willing, and this was a big thing for me, was I willing to let go of my decades of this mindset of worthlessness, was I willing to, to surrender it, to let it go? Cause there was a part of me <clears throat> that was very comfortable with it, miserable yeah. with it, but, but comfortable. And why? Because every time an opportunity came to be vulnerable and to talk about what was really going on, how did I escape to my worthlessness? Oh, I'm yeah. such a loser. I'm just a piece of crap. I'm never going to be able to do this or that or the other. And what, and that got me off the hook from saying and what I would, and I, when yeah. I go through that addiction cycle, then what would it do? It would confirm all those negative. Of course. Things, right. Yep. See, you go at, I am you, a pile of crap. You go <laughs> act out to soothe your worthlessness. And then it convinces yep. you that you are worthless, which, which didn't you feel awful about? And then what do you go do? Try to soothe your, your worthlessness. Here we go. It galvanizes the very the very premise and paradigm that we are trying to escape. Exactly. Every time we go through that again and again and again. Yeah. So so getting vulnerable about this, the thing for me was, for example, with my wife, if I started to feel like a loser and worthless and all the old crap that would come into my head, I started to dare to voice it in that moment. And I would say, you know what, sweetheart? I'm really, I'm kind of feeling that worthlessness come in right now. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm six years old and I would talk and I would actually dare to talk it through instead of the automatic, oh, I'm worthless. I'm a loser right out, right. Shut down, isolate, walk away. I'd actually lean in and hang in and actually start to get vulnerable and transparent. And that's when I started to get to what the core was about this instead of just these platitudes of I'm worthless and I'm a loser and will always be. Yeah, that's 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 just surface and easy to say. But what about the deep work? Yeah, no, I love that. That's so true. Uh, such powerful stuff, guys. This is a, this is one of the many passion topics we love to tackle with clients, both in our clinics, each individually, but also in our Dare to Connect program. Again, we hope you'll consider joining us. We love interacting with our 
our clients each and each and every day individually, but we also love uh, those participants in Dare to Connect that we're able to engage with. They can ask questions. We can give answers. Uh, please do check that out at, at uh, daretoconnectnow.com. We'd love to have you come take a look. Um, if you have other questions for the podcast that you would like addressed on here and you are willing to be it as a spouse who are spouse of, a, of an addict who are oftentimes very brave and those addicts who are rarely brave who choose to write into us, <laughs> we hope that you will throw those in and we're happy to address those in, in a time limited fashion. Uh, but uh, again, we we just so love and appreciate you. We're grateful for you. We're coming up on this podcast. We were just talking about this right before we started. In a month, we hit three years of this podcast ongoing. And it's just, it, it's so satisfying for us to be reaching so many of you in this virtual format. And we love hearing from you, whether it be questions or feedback or whatever the case is. You can submit all of those, uh, all, all of that and more at uh, pbscpodcast.com. There's a contact form down at the bottom of the page. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for being here with us today. And uh, we, we will look forward to our, uh, our next episode. Awesome. Take care, everybody. Have a good week. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.